you turn in your Bible to the book of Luke, chapter 11, and we're, we're entering a section of Luke uh, for the next two weeks where uh, Jesus is teaching on prayer. There's this um, famous section where he gives us the, the Lord's Prayer, teaches us to pray, and then, then he moves into a, a parable and further teaching about what it is to approach God in, in boldness. So um, this, this will be our, our, our focus in the next few weeks, and, and actually just to give you a sense of where we'll, we're going. Um, so uh, through the rest of this month, we'll be in Luke, but then we're actually going to take a quick break from Luke in December um, to, um, with a short series in Isaiah. Um, and then we'll pick back up with Luke again in, in January. So um, it'll be a few more uh, weeks here. So again, um, Luke chapter 11, um, and we'll be looking at verse 1 to 4. And if you're using the, the Pew Bible that, that's near you, this is on page 869. Again, Luke 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can pray to you. And Lord, we thank you that you teach us how to pray. So Lord, we, we ask that through this text that you would strengthen each of our prayer lives, that we would be uh, more diligent, um, more faithful, um, but also more childlike, more dependent, uh, more in need of you, Lord more aware of our need. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you were traveling with Jesus during his, his earthly ministry, uh, you would have heard him pray a lot. I mean, especially this is something that Luke brings out in his gospel, that Jesus is just constantly praying. And so the, I think the disciples were just blown away by the, the prayers of Jesus because they had heard the, the Pharisees pray. They had heard John the Baptist pray. Uh, but they would never heard anything quite like the prayers of Jesus. And, and so in, in verse 1 of this passage, they, they ask this question. It says that when Jesus was praying a certain place, and when he would finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And we don't know who, who asked the question here. Uh, but essentially, they're saying, we know that, that John has given his disciples a method of prayer, and, and we want the same thing, because I think what they saw was just the, the, the poverty of their own prayer life, um, and maybe not in and of itself, but when they compared it, when they heard the way that Jesus spoke to his Heavenly Father, and then looked at the way that they approached God in prayer, they saw this, this difference, and so they wanted to know Jesus, what's your secret? Lord, teach us to pray. And I think that we can actually identify with the disciples in that place where uh, we, we read the scriptures, we read the, the Psalms of David, or we read the prayers of the Apostle Paul, or, or we read the, the prayers of Jesus in the, in the Gospels. And, and we're, 
struck, I think, if we're, if we're really being honest, of just the, the poverty of our own prayer lives. Because on the one hand, prayer is just the most natural, easy, basic thing for a believer because we're, we're talking to God, we're talking to our Heavenly Father. But um, if you're like me, um, then, then also sometimes prayer can be hard, uh, that it can be hard to know what to say. What does it actually look like to, to pray? And so we need to also go to our Lord, like the disciples, and say, teach us to, to pray. And look at how Jesus answers in verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And so most of you know this prayer. Maybe you memorized it as a, as a child. But then also you may notice that the, the wording is, is fairly different. Um, there, there's actually some differences in some early manuscripts. So depending on what Bible you use, it could be slightly um, different. Um, but, then, but also there's a, there's a difference between Matthew and between Luke in the wording. Um, and so you, know, you heard that, that what, what this one in Luke is slightly pared down. Um, there's a few phrases that we know from the, the Matthew version uh, that aren't there. And it makes sense because in Matthew, Jesus was, was teaching as part of uh, his Sermon on the Mount, instructing in prayer. And the, the prayer that we have here from Luke, Jesus is, is traveling with his disciples to Jerusalem and is teaching them. And so he's using slightly different wording for the same prayer. And so I think that that actually gives us a clue into the way in which Jesus wants us to use this prayer in our lives. Because sometimes it, it's, it's good, it's appropriate, it's right to take the exact words of the Lord's Prayer and just uh, use it as our own. I mean, we do that every week when we read the Lord's Prayer. You know, we read the Matthew version. Today we read it every, every week as part of our worship. Or, or sometimes when I'm tired or just feeling spiritually weak and I'm having trouble generating my own words in prayer, taking the Psalms or taking the Lord's Prayer and just using the words of Christ, the words that the Lord has given me as a, as a way of, of, of praying. And, and that's a gift from, from Christ to give us these words directly rather than just a long discourse on prayer, but to actually give us a prayer. But I also don't think that we should be tied to one set of words because Jesus himself teaching on different occasions, use different wording for the same structure. So he wasn't tied to, to one specific exact set of words. But instead, what we can think about for the Lord's Prayer is, is more of a, a framework uh, that we can use to build our own prayers upon. And so uh, you can even think about it like a hop-on, hop-off tour. I don't know if you've ever been on one of these when when Grace and I were in um, Belfast, we didn't have a car. We didn't know exactly uh, where to go in the, in the city. And so we bought tickets for one of these tours where uh, there's a number of buses that just go in a circle through the town, you know, past the major sites. And so you have your ticket. You can get on the bus, ride as far as you want. If something looks interesting, you hop off. You walk around. You look at the sites. When you get tired or you're just ready to move on, you go back to the stop. You hop on again, go to the next stop, get off. And so it's a, it's a great way to, to have variety, to see more of the, of the city. And, and that's really how we can think about the Lord's Prayer as well. That we have access to God in prayer because he is our 
loving Heavenly Father in Christ. And so you can think about that kind of like the, the ticket. You know, what is our access to God in, in prayer? Uh, but then as we actually you know, enter the, the tour of prayer, that, that's the, Lord of prayer, the, the Lord's Prayer, it makes five stops along the way. And sometimes you know, people will call these the, the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but you can think about it, you know, as you're, you're riding on, on the bus of, of prayer, and each of the petitions is a place where you can get off and you can pray in that category. And so, so look again at, at the prayer in your Bible. Um, and you'll notice um, that it's, it, you can kind of divide it up into two sections. So the, the first two stops on this tour of prayer or what we could call the, the vertical aspect of, of prayer, that, that it's really dealing with, with God's priorities. Uh, that it, The first is, hallowed be your name. Second, your kingdom come. And then the, the last three stops along the way are what we could call this horizontal aspect of prayer, where we're praying for, for our needs, our, our concerns. So uh, third, uh, give us each day our daily bread forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and the fifth lead us not into temptation and so you're you you're at home or here or wherever you are in your car and you're praying and you're using this as your as your framework of, of prayer then then you start you know, first with the the ticket lord Pray to him as Father, because you have access to him through, through Christ. And then uh, you make the stops along the way. You can get off, pray, pray as long as you want in that particular category. When you can't think of anything else to, to pray about, you, you get back on, and you keep going until the next stop. And so with that framework in mind, let's walk through this together then in, in more detail. And we'll start first with this ticket of prayer at the very beginning, verse 2. It says uh, that, this is Jesus speaking, when you pray, which of course shows that Jesus is expecting us to pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, say, Father. Or as it, it reads in the version from Matthew, um, our Father who art in heaven. And so really this ticket to pray is this knowledge of God, this experiential knowledge of God as our loving heavenly Father. And that's not something that we can just claim from ourselves, from our, our own righteousness, our own goodness. Or, uh, because actually the, the Bible is clear that because of sin, because of the ways that we break God's law and, wa and walk away from him, that actually by nature we come into the world as enemies of God who, who can't approach him with, with boldness in and of ourselves. And you say, well, then how could a, an enemy of God ever pray? And this is where we're then brought into the very essence of, of Christianity. Because Jesus, the eternal, natural, the true Son of God, came into the world, took upon himself a, a nature like ours, uh, lived uh, the life that we couldn't live, died the death on the cross that we deserve to die. And so when we repent and trust in him, we're united to him, we're connected to him. Uh, he takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness, his perfect life that we put on like this uh, garment. And then the Bible says that we are adopted into the family of God. And Galatians 4 says, 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so that's our, our ticket, that the spirit of, of God, the spirit of adoption coming into our hearts, crying, Father, that when we're praying, we're not trying to earn his favor, saying, okay, I need to pray a certain number of times, or God won't love me, or we're not just boasting, okay, here, Lord, are all the things that I, I've done. I thank you that I'm not like all of the, the other people who are sinners. But, but what we're doing is, is praying as people who acknowledge that by nature we were enemies of God, uh, but that through Christ we've actually been brought near, not simply as, as slaves, but as, as children of the king. So I think that this makes then a big difference in the way that we approach God, the boldness. And this is something we'll talk a lot about next week, but I think it's important. Because if you were, say, a serf back in the Middle Ages, and, and you wanted to talk to the king uh, of the realm, you, know, you might be able to, to talk to his attendants and make your case of why you should meet with him. And then if they think that you have good reasons, maybe you would be granted an audience. And then before you could enter the throne room, you would be instructed in, this is how you bow. This is how you leave. This is how you speak. This is what you say. This is what you don't say. That, that you could never approach the king directly or, or boldly because you're just a, a servant. But then imagine that you're the king's son, and then you could run into the throne room, jump onto the throne, hug your, your father, ask him whatever you want because you're a son, and he's a a loving heavenly father. And that's how we can think about this ticket, this, this invitation to pray to, to God as our, our father, that it's not a burden. It's not a, something that we have to check off of our list as a, as a chore, but it's actually this, this privilege that we can engage in directly and, and boldly. That's why the book of Hebrews says that let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so this is why we don't need to pray through um, any sort of mediation other than Christ, that we don't have to go through, through Mary or through a church or through a saint or through any mere human being, that we have this, this direct access to God in prayer to come boldly and, and directly as, as children. But I imagine that, that some of you may not actually know this kind of boldness or believe this kind of boldness and, and directness in prayer. Uh, because I, I have a friend who, and I think I've maybe mentioned before, that, that as a child he, he prayed for something and, and told God that if God answered that he would never ask anything again. And God answered, and so you know, he says, you know, no, I'll never pray again because, you know, God, I, I used up my allotment of, of prayer and it would be presumptuous to me to bring anything else before God because you know, he, he's the he's so far far beyond me and you know in that in conversation I was trying to explain you know no God is in Christ our loving heavenly father that he actually wants to hear from us that we can come to him boldly that we can come to him directly and it's not just that well you've used up your your five requests you know like the genie in the bottle and and now you can never come to me again but we come as children and so for any of us 
if we want this kind of direct approach to God, then maybe the, the very first prayer that we would speak is something more like this, that, oh Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm not good. I've broken your laws, lived my own way. Thank you for living a perfect life, dying as my substitute. Today I turn from my sins and trust in you, God, for forgiveness and acceptance. And, you know, it's that, that just basic prayer of faith in Christ. And it, it could be different words, but the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then it also says in Scripture that you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom you cry, Abba, Father. And so that's our, our ticket of prayer, our access um, to the Lord. But now let, let's turn and, and look at these five stops along the way once we're on this tour of the, of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, so the, the first stop is this. It says, Father, hallowed be your name. Of course, the, the word hallowed is not one we use very often in daily speech. Another translation says, Father, your name be honored as, as holy. And so we're, we're praying for the, the holiness of God's name to be displayed in the world. And you say, well, what is, is holiness? And, and holiness is really just God's absolute perfection and moral purity um, that, that he is in and of himself, but then also shows our separation from him because, uh, in and of ourselves because we're not holy, we're not perfectly morally pure. And you, know, you could say that, that God is, is holy just in everything that he is, that his name is holy, his titles are holy, his, his attributes are holy, his love is holy, his goodness is holy, his power is holy, his omnipotence is holy, his wisdom is holy, his word is holy. That the Lord in himself and the ways that he makes himself known in his revelation is, is holy. And that's why, why scripture says that the heavenly hosts, you know, the fiery seraphim in the presence of the Lord, for all eternity just cover their face and cover their feet, crying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then we also, from, from Jesus, this, this first stop in the Lord's Prayer opens at this, this vista of the, the holiness and the righteousness of God that, that we should desire and, and seek for and long for to be displayed. And so here are some ways that maybe if you're thinking about praying at this, this stop, that it, what it could look like. Um, I, it could be, I, I acknowledge you, Lord, to be holy. Help me to, to meditate more and more on your holiness, to understand it more, to delve deeper into that infinite lake of who you are. Or it could be, Lord, I, I confess to you that I am unholy uh, in the things that I've done, the things that I've neglected to do. Uh, Lord, expose the roots of unholiness in my life. Help me to be able to confess those things, uh, to, to know that in your word you say, be holy as I am holy. Let, let me live in a way that uh, displays your character to the world, that, that your name would be honored through the way that I interact with others, the way I treat my children or my spouse or my, my coworkers. Or uh, let your name be honored in the worship of my church. Or let my pastor be honoring his name, your name and his sermon preparation and all that he's he's doing, or, or let my child, whether believing child or unbelieving child, honor your name as, as holy. Um, let them reverence you, Lord. Turn them to you, or uh, Lord, let my, my leaders that you've placed in, you know, whether unrighteous leaders or spiritual leaders, let them reverence you, honor you, um, turn to know you. 
And so that's the, this first stop, and we could keep praying here forever. Uh, but look now at the, the second stop. So you, know, you get back on the, the tour bus of the Lord's Prayer. You go to the second stop, and it says, your kingdom come. And you say, well, what does that mean for God's kingdom to come? And, it, and in one sense, you know, God is ruled and reigned as king forever. So there's, there's no sense in which his, his kingdom needs to come because he's king forever and ever. But if you look at the, the storyline of the, of the Bible, that God created the first human, Adam, and he told him to exercise dominion over creation, to expand the garden, that, that in a sense Adam had this, this role of, of kingship in, in creation, which then he forfeited by his, his sin and rebellion against God. And then God promised that he would send a, another king, a, a second Adam, to rule and to reign as the, the God-man over creation, to bring the, the rule and the dominion of God visibly and fully into all of creation. And so then when, when Jesus finally arrived, people thought, oh, this is great. The kingdom is going to come in all of its fullness. But then what, what ended up happening, what, what God's plan was from the beginning was actually to have this you know, two-part installment plan of God's kingdom. That, that The first part was the coming of Christ, where he lived the perfect life, died a sacrificial death, rose again from the dead. So in a sense, we can definitely say the kingdom is here. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is, is among you, Jesus says. But then there's this other aspect, this future aspect of the kingdom where we're, we're praying for Jesus to come back, to, where he'll return in glory to judge the, the living and the dead. So the kingdom is it's already, and it, it's not yet. And so when we're praying, Lord, your kingdom come, we're praying for both the already and the not yet. So we're praying for the, the not yet and saying, Lord Jesus, I long for you to come again. I mean, and that's the very end of the book of Revelation says, come quickly, Lord Jesus, that we, we long for him to come. We long for every knee to bow, every tongue to confess Jesus is the king and to have all of his, his um, enemies defeated, to have him, him ruling visibly over all of creation. But then we're also praying for the, for the, the already. Uh, we're, we're praying for uh, his, his rule now, we're, we're, we're praising and saying, Lord, I, I praise you that right now you are king. You are ruling and reigning at God's right hand. Lord, I, I thank you for your church that's this embassy of your kingdom in the world. And I thank you for missionaries who are bringing the gospel of the kingdom to the world and praying that God would strengthen them. Whereas even as you're praying for Hope Church, you're, you're praying for the, the kingdom to come in these these small ways and these big ways that the that through the ministry of God's people at Hope Church, that, that the, the kingdom and the rule and the dominion of Christ would be displayed more and more to our neighbors, to the world. We can pray that for, for every aspect of life. Because even though we can say that you know, the kingdom is not going to be fully visible until Christ returns, we can pray, Lord, let your kingdom become more visible in politics or in the arts or in science. Um, let the the rule and the dominion of Christ and, and his justice and mercy and uh, his, his way of doing things be manifest in the world. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Of course, we could keep praying there, but then we could get back on the, the bus of prayer 
um, and then go to the third stop, which is give us each day our daily bread. And so this is where we move from the vertical, right, from the, the, your kingdom come, your name be honored as, as holy, to then turning to, to our kind of practical needs, or give us um, daily bread. And, and I think that both of those are so important for prayer, where, where we're praying these, these big cosmic priorities. But I, you know, I know some people who've said, oh, you know, God doesn't really want to hear about the, the things that are just the day-to-day concerns of your life. He has bigger things, bigger fish to fry, more to, more to deal with in the world. But, but we know that that's not true. Because here, Jesus is saying that we can pray for our daily bread. And in ancient Palestine, I mean, daily bread, that's just talking about the, the very most basic necessities of life. It's how you eat. It's how you sustain your family. It's how you, you avoid starvation. And then if you think about it, and you know, if you're praying at this stop along the way, that there are lots of ways that maybe aren't directly just bread, but that are tied into God's provision of daily bread. And so maybe you're, you're out of a job, and so for you to pray for daily bread is to pray that the Lord would, would give you employment. Or maybe your, your health is suffering and, and you're unable to work, so praying for daily bread is, is praying for God to heal you. Or maybe you have a parent who's on a fixed income, then praying for daily bread maybe means praying for the economy, praying for the stock market, that they're able to keep collecting what they need from their uh, retirement. And so there, there's lots and lots of ways to pray that are just very practical of the ways that we have provision. And, you know, just an example of this, uh, when I was praying on this, uh, you know, th- this week I woke up, Helen and Grace were both sleeping still, and, and I was at the kitchen table, you know, going through the different stops of the Lord's Prayer. And I looked in the kitchen and it said, give us this day our daily bread. And there's this huge pile of apples and, you know, big bag of rice. And I know that there's food in the refrigerator. And so then it's turning to Thanksgiving of saying, Lord, thank you for already providing the food and the daily provision that we need. Thank you that I'm able to work. Thank you for, for Hope Church. Thank you for um, sustaining us. And, and then being able to turn and, and pray for those around the world who don't have food, who need provision in these very practical ways. And so we could continue praying here, but then we can again, get back on the, the bus again, go to the, to the fourth stop, which is, Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And so here we're, this is where we turn to confession. This is what we do every week in our service, where we have a time of, of confession together. But there's something kind of confusing in the wording of Jesus, where he says, forgive us for, because we ourselves forgive others. And so it almost seems like he's saying that the, the grounds upon which you're going to be forgiven is the way in which you forgive others. So how is it that we're forgiven? And the Bible is, is clear that we're not saved or forgiven by God by becoming really forgiving people, but we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But the Bible's then also clear that for somebody who has experienced the forgiveness of God, that there is this heart that says, I know how much I've been forgiven by God, so I want to turn and forgive others as I myself have been forgiven. And so if we come to this place in the Lord's Prayer and we're reflecting on this and we're, we're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm really harboring bitterness against somebody, I'm refusing to forgive, then it's this opportunity to say, one, have I experienced your forgiveness? And then two, if I have, Lord, help me to actually forgive and live that out in others, giving 
to them what you have, have, have given to me. And then we can just you know, keep going with all of the ways that we can confess sin to the Lord. You know, where have I been unkind? Where have I not loved my spouse as I should? Where have I fallen short of the commandments? Where have I failed to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and my neighbor as myself? And bringing that to Christ. And, and I think it's significant that, that Jesus gives this petition part, you know, in the, kind of the middle of the prayer. As we said, this is not the, the ticket to prayer because we start from the position of knowing in Christ that we're accepted um, through Jesus. But then we daily are confessing our sins, um, not that we're going in and out of the status of forgiveness if we're in Christ, but rather like he, he uses our daily repentance um, to draw us closer to Christ and help us actually live out more and more what it is to, to follow him as our, our Savior. And then finally, as we um, move to the fifth and final stop, we see this, lead us not into temptation. And so here, again, we can be confused about the, the wording of this because we say, well, does God lead us into temptation? And the Bible's clear that, that he doesn't, that God isn't the author of evil and the book of James chapter 1 says, Let no one, when he is tempted, say, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And so what does it mean for God to lead us into temptation? And I think that the key for this is actually back in Luke chapter 4. And even if you want to turn there in your Bible to Luke 4 verse 1, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And then it says that, and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And so you see what it's saying, that, that Jesus was led into the desert by the Spirit of God, that God led him into temptation. And God wasn't the one tempting him, that he was tempted by, by Satan, but God put him in a, in a place of temptation in order to test him for redemptive purposes. And that's what God sometimes does with us, that sometimes he, he puts us in a place of temptation, that, that he leads us into temptation in order to test us, and he does it out of, out of love, not because he doesn't care for us, but because we're his, his children. And he works through it, just as he worked in, in Job, when he allowed Job to be afflicted by, by Satan, and um, went through such hardship. Um, but still, it's appropriate and right to pray, Lord, don't put me in that place. Don't put me in the, to the test. Or even what Jesus says when he was about to go to the cross, he's in, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood. He said, you know, Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. Lead me not into temptation. Don't put me through this trial. Deliver me uh, from this. And I think that that's what, what we should all pray for. Uh, from the Lord, Lord, I know that I'm weak. I know that I'll fall. I know that I'm, I'm dependent. And so, Lord, please take away even the opportunities of temptation. Don't put me to the test. Lord, I, we, we need you. And then we can turn and, and pray that for everybody in our lives. You know, pray that for our children and our spouse and our friends and neighbors and pastors and politicians. Lord, don't let them, don't put them to the test, Lord. Let them... 
Uh, be faithful, let me be faithful. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then just as we, we wrap up today, as you look at the very end of this prayer, you'll notice something that, that's not there that we often say in our prayer, um, that, that it doesn't say, in Jesus' name, or in your name I, I pray. And the Bible does say that, that we should pray in the, the name of Christ. So it's interesting that when Jesus is instructing his disciples on prayer, that he doesn't tell them to, to say that at the end. And, and I think that the, the reason for that is that praying in Christ's name, it, it's not simply this thing where we just tack the words on and somehow tacking the, the words in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer gives it sort of an extra boost. <laughs> like it'll, it wouldn't quite make it to God, but you know, that's the extra burner on the back to you know, make it get all the way to him by, by saying in Jesus' name. Any more than saying Father at the beginning is some sort of magic word, but it, it's, it's connected to something deeper of this knowledge of God as our Father through Christ as we are united to him. Uh, by faith. But really this entire prayer is in the name of, of Jesus because it finds its yes and its amen in Christ alone. Because we pray to him as Father, but then you say, well, how do I, how do, I do that? It's through Christ. It's through him coming as the Son of God so that when I'm united to him, I am, am viewed as a son as he is, and God loves me as he loves his own Son. And we pray that, that God's name would be honored as holy. And, but then, you know, Jesus is the Holy One of Israel who comes to save and redeem an unholy people and that, that we're, we're sanctified, made holy by the blood of Christ in our life. And then we pray for his, his kingdom to come. And, and, it, and then how are we made citizens of the kingdom of heaven? How do we become citizens of this kingdom that we're, when Jesus returns, we can... Uh, look up with boldness um, and expectation, and it's, it's through Christ, through the, his blood that was, was poured out for us. Or when, when we pray for our, our daily bread, we're, we're reminded of the, the Last Supper where Jesus gathered with his, his disciples. And there was a, a trend in the, the early church, you know, around the 200s or 300s, that they tended to take the, the prayer for daily bread and to see it as exclusively as talking about the Lord's Supper and, and God, the spiritual bread that the Lord provides. And, and I think that they were, they were wrong in, in seeing it as only talking about uh, this meal, that we can pray for really practical needs. But I think that they were right in seeing you know, what is it that, that is ultimately the provision of bread that the Lord gives us, that, that you can pray for bread and have food in your refrigerator today and, and not have Christ, which means you don't have what matters most. Uh, and Jesus says, whoever eats my body will have, will have life. He'll, he'll, he will never go hungry again. You know, whoever drinks my blood will find this true life and, and satisfaction. So Jesus gives himself as the, the true daily bread that we need. And so when we then pray for God, forgive us our sins, we know how we're forgiven, not through our works, but because of his sacrifice, that his body was broken, his blood was shed for us. As we pray that he would deliver us from evil, that he would lead us not into temptation, we have this picture of, of Jesus who went through suffering and death, entered into resurrection life that we share in in Jesus, that God preserved him, and if we're with Jesus, he's going to preserve us as well.